0: Yeah. Good morning. Are you well? Kind of. <laughs> it's because Brody said we were halfway through the summer, isn't it? You know, you're like, ah. well, I am grateful and honored to be here with you, but before I do that, I just want to again just add my words to it and celebrate so much you all as the students. Um, missions is so important because it opens our eyes to other parts of the world. And it's interesting, particularly when you go to a place like Vancouver. Vancouver is a beautiful city. I mean, the landscape is beautiful. It's really beautiful, but how many of you know that beauty doesn't keep darkness from encroaching, right? Many of us have beautiful marriages, but the enemy finds ways of encroaching, or we find that the enemy finds his way into things. And so even in beautiful landscapes and beautiful places that are relatively wealthy, there is brokenness. And so I'm so grateful for our students and um, for taking the time for being who you are, for sharing Christ for sacrificing, for time away from friends. And I pray that the Lord would continue to use you in this world and that you would see the missional opportunities around you, at your school, with the kids that nobody wants to talk to, with the new immigrant kids that doesn't know quite where they fit. I pray that you would continue to be used of God in the world As I've said to you before, as I travel the country and travel the world, I see a generation that is ushering in the kingdom of God in major cities and smaller cities around the world. And it is your generation that is doing it. Your generation are the ones that are in the streets of Amsterdam and Paris and places around the world. It is a global, multicultural movement of a generation of young people who are saying we will not allow Christ to be denied. And so I pray that you would be encouraged, that you would look up and lock eyes with your friends because they're out there in the street, unafraid and unashamed around the world. And they really are believing for an ushering in of the second coming of Christ. So thank you for all of you for your sacrifice and your work. Somebody's life has been changed forever because you chose to say yes to this mission. So I'm grateful for you. And as we talk about mission, we talk about the journey of our lives, we're continuing in our journey in the book of Galatians. And I know that sometimes when we study entire books, for some people it's a little bit of like a, it's not your favorite thing, but it's really important when we study entire books of scripture, it's important for us to know the foundations. Who was the book written to? Why was it written? What are the cultural contexts? What are the implications for us today? And I want to encourage you, I'm so grateful that we are touching uh, the book of Galatians because Galatians is one of the most essential books to all of the Christian faith. Um, It is called, as we would call Luther's book, uh, it is called the Magna Carta of Christian Liberty because Galatians and Romans were used by the Apostle Paul as foundational texts during the Protestant Reformation. So the entire book of Galatians, the Apostle Paul used to argue against works righteousness. He used Galatians and Romans to constantly clarify there is no other way through salvation but faith in Jesus Christ alone. And so if you ever hear people refer to Galatians as Luther's book, That is why. It was probably one of the most essential parts of what helped Martin Luther establish the Protestant Reformation, of which we are benefactors. We are a part of the Protestant Reformation. We are a part of that journey. Uh, Who was it written to? So the book was written to the churches at Galatia. And so sometimes when we think about the church at Galatia, we maybe think of a church like the Highlands. But I want you to think instead of Galatia, more like a region. And so just like we as the highlands are a part of what we would call the Aspen Grove network, where there are multiple churches, so it was with Galatia that Galatia, which is now modern day Turkey, was a large region. Some of it was we would consider northern and southern, and so we'd probably take this major city or this major country and cut it in half. And the Apostle Paul in his first and second missionary journeys was a part of establishing the church there in southern Galatia. So he knew these people well. And so as you've been hearing the preaching over the last several weeks, you may hear a little bit of a punch that Paul is giving the people. You might hear a little bit of veracity. That's because he was their senior pastor. He's the one that established this church. He's the one that preached to them and taught them what it meant to serve the Lord. So when he started to hear things that were contrary to the gospel, he was concerned. And that's why you hear a little bit of veracity. And we'll hear that again today. So it was written to a region called called Galatia. And there were multiple churches, if you can imagine, smattered throughout this area. And the church was compromised of Jewish and Gentile converts. So people who had once been people of the law, had heard the preaching of the Apostle Paul, said yes to Jesus Christ and faith in Christ alone. But then there were also Gentiles, people who had worshipped other gods, who had also heard that preaching. Their hearts were convicted. And so these very different cultures and groups of people became the establishment of the church at Galatia. Galatians is widely thought to be the first book that is written in the New Testament which for many of us is a bit strange because we don't oftentimes read the church chronologically. Have any of you ever written, read the Bible chronologically or done a chronolo- chronological reading of scripture? So you know that if we were to look at and order our Bibles that we read today based on what was written first, second, third, all the way to the end, it's very different than the way that we have it ordered now. And there are reasons for why we have it ordered the way that we do. But Galatians is maybe first or second, neck and neck with first Thessalonians. As one of the very first books written in the New Testament. And so that's important for us because we can help to understand how Paul's writing colored all of the other writings that we see. The challenge was here's the challenge the challenge was that the Jewish believers who were a part of this church at Galatia kind of reverted back to their old ways of Judaism. They didn't really, initially, while they had said yes to their faith, they started sliding backwards. They started to focus more on the law. And not only did they go back, they were dragging the other Galatians with them. So they were saying to those who had been Gentiles, uh, it's fine that you want to be Christians, but since we're the chosen people, you need to do it our way. You need to be circumcised in the flesh. You need to follow the law. You need to do those things. So we want you to do it our way. So essentially, the very thing that Paul taught against the Judaizers were going back in Paul's absence after he had left to go and be a part of mission the mission work around the world, they, out of sight, out of mind, started to drag in division and messiness. Now, all of us in this place have probably been in a few churches, and so we know the problems that come when a small sector group of people start to drag people away through gossip or through other things, and that was part of One of the ways that they started to destroy the Galatian church is they started to speak really negatively about Paul. Some of them would say, well, Paul used to be a zealous Jew, but then he gave up. And then they would say to uh, those who were Gentiles, he used to persecute you. We can't trust him. And so they would use gossip and they would use their own history and they would use their own self-righteousness, having been God's chosen people to create discord in the church. Well, Paul heard about it. How I many you know when Paul hears about something, he writes a letter? And so this is what we see is he is addressing these legalistic Jews. Now, all the Jews didn't do this, but there were legalistic Jews who insisted that Christians keep the Mosaic law and be circumcised as a requirement of salvation. So you can read about this and how this all happened. If you look at the book of Acts, chapter 15, it will give you a broader sense of that. If there's a foundational scripture, if you were to say to me, okay, Pastor Laurel, give me one scripture that would really help me to get the thrust of the book of Galatians, it would be perhaps Galatians 2.16, although there are many great ones. And this is what Paul argued. This is what Martin Luther argued. This is what we need to argue. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith into Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Do you see how Paul says we Paul's including himself Paul is saying I know I used to be a Jew I used to be there too but I am now included in one who has been justified by faith where did that happen to Paul on that road called Damascus where he realized that all of his power and all of his privilege as a Jew meant nothing when he met Jesus Christ here's the first point for us friends Everything that we bring into our salvation, into our walk, into our life, it doesn't matter what background we come from, culture we come from, how much money we have, what region of the world we come from, those things don't save us. What saves us is faith in Jesus Christ alone. And praise God, because it's the great equalizer. I wish the church around the world would get that. Because we're so divided on denominationalism and everything else and how we vote. And here's the thing. Satan uses it as a distraction. It keeps us from sharing the gospel. Keeps us from loving each other well. Keeps us from praying as we ought to. Satan loves to bring distraction and division. Because if we can get our eyes focused on ourselves, we won't look up and see what's happening in the rest of the world. And how many know we need to look up more than ever and see what's happening in the rest of the world? Kids are desperate. Young people are hurting. Economies are difficult. All those things. And here's the beauty. Because of Jesus, he said, hey, if your identity is in me, you don't need to be afraid. But because you have the good news, go tell somebody else. They don't have to be afraid. If you truly know who you are in me, the way that you live ought to make a difference. You ought to live in such a way that you want to tell the world that there is room at the table. So in the portion of scripture that we come to today, Galatians chapter 4 verses 12 through 20, we're continuing to see Paul talking to them about their identity in Christ and what it means to truly be a benefactor of this relationship with Jesus. The first 11 verses, Paul talks about what it means to be an heir, a benefactor. He uses language like when you were a child or when you were an heir, an heir may have benefit benefit to all of the kingdom, but because they are too young, too infantile, they can't lead, they can't receive all of the benefits of being an heir. He uses that as a way for us to also understand our spiritual place. He said, you have all of the benefits of the kingdom of God, but you're spiritually immature. Because you're spiritually immature, God can't give you everything you need until you grow up in the things of God. And so he's coming hard at the church of Galatians because he wants them to remember what he preached, why he preached it, and why it matters. The same thing as I'm giving to you today. God has given us the entire kingdom. We need to know how blessed we are. We have our salvation. We have the great cloud of witnesses. We have the Holy Spirit who fills us. We have the full armor of God. We have the church. We have fellowship. We have prayer. We are a blessed people and we have been equipped with the power of God, the presence of God, the knowledge of God, the mind of God, to love like God and to transform the world as he would. So I want you to look up and I want you to think of yourselves differently because sometimes the way that we think of ourselves, which is small and insignificant really robs you of your identity in Christ and therefore what you can do for Christ and his kingdom. So let's look at these next 12 verses and let's look at how Paul continues in this treatise to talk to the people at the church of Galatia. Here we go. He said, I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What, the, what they want is to alienate you from us so that they may have zeal, you may have zeal for them. It's fine to be zealous, provided that the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I'm with you, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. So here we can see a little bit and hear a little bit about Paul's frustration. He's frustrated with them and he's going back and he's reminding them of the relationship the foundation of their relationship that they once had. See the words that I plead with you, brothers and sisters. Become like me, for I became like you. What is Paul saying there? Paul is saying, I want you to become like me. Follow me as I follow Christ, because I became like you. I became a servant, I lived among you, I walked among you, I I became a a resident of Galatia, I learned the customs, I learned your food, I learned to be like you so that I could serve you, so that I could preach to you in a way that you would understand. As pastors, it's really helpful when we understand the context of the people that we serve. I live in the shadow of the state capitol. I live in the city, in the heart of the Twin Cities. Delano is not St. Paul. (laughs) Very different worlds. But I love Delano. I love you guys. I love the beauty of the farmland. I love the quiet. I can feel my blood pressure going down when I leave the city limits once I get past 394. I'm like, whew, I'm almost with my people. I love the kindness. I love the family feel of this region. I love this church but it's important that when I preach and I'm ministering, I'm spending time with you so that as I'm articulating the gospel, I have some sense of who you are. It's important to know who people are. I've gotten to know your kids. I've gotten to know Brody and Aaron, and this is family for me. Not because we live in the same region, but because we serve the same God. We have the same Savior. That makes us family. And that means I need to honor you like family. That means we need to walk together. That means you should also have some sense of who I am so that when I'm preaching the gospel, you know that there's a gospel passion for me that is not being misused. You ought to be able to know and see in my life and how I live my life that I take seriously the gospel because the pulpit is nothing to be played with and Christ's name and his glory is what matters most. And so Paul is saying, become like me as I became like you. Don't worry, don't fear. Students, you learn this. When you went to Vancouver, you walked amongst the people to say, well, what is this like? This is really different. There are similarities and there are differences. But what brings us together is Christ. Paul says that when he was ill, he first preached to them. Now, we don't know what Paul's illness was. We do know from other scriptures, right, that we've seen Paul address that he had a thorn in his flesh, that he prayed three times for that thorn to be removed. We're not sure if that thorn was something physical in terms of pain. We don't know. Perhaps some um, people speculate that it was malaria, Because there were parts of Galatia that were very swampy, very full of mosquitoes. They didn't have the same kind of things as we had. And so it could be malaria. Or he could have had an illness or an infection in his eyes, which is why he says, if you could have pulled out your own eyes and given them to me, you would have. Regardless of what the illness was, Paul is saying, in my first missionary journey to you, I was really sick when I came to you. And I know it was a burden. I know it was tough. I know I probably asked a lot of you. I know that it was exhausting, but even so, you guys really loved me. You cared well for me. You treated me as if I was an angel of God, as if I was Christ himself. Can you imagine what that meant? That must have meant that sacrificially, they were giving him whatever he needed. Maybe they opened their homes to him. Whatever it was, they treated him with great joy in those early years. How many of you know when you're first starting a church, it's real easy to do that? our hospitality is always high in the beginning. And then when we start to deal with the tough stuff, sometimes that that gets tested. And that's what Paul is saying. He's like, okay, so now that I'm here telling you the truth, I'm better. I'm not with you. I'm addressing you in this letter. You're mad at me now? We're not friends anymore? Because I've got to tell you the truth that you're sinning and you know you're sinning? because I have to slap your hand? You're mad at me now? Now all the love that you had for me when I was ill, now that's gone out the window, and now you don't want me to be around anymore? Paul's saying, what is wrong with you guys? My job is to tell you the truth, and this is what I got to say to you too, and we got to say it about pastors as well. The role of pastors is not necessarily to make the gospel palatable. Our job isn't to make things easy, it is to tell the truth. And we need to be the first purveyors of that truth. If Jesus Christ is not alive in me, if his truth isn't winnowing me, if his truth isn't in my marriage and in my parenting, if it's not transforming me, I have no business preaching the gospel, zero. But if I am like you and we are brothers and sisters in Christ, I ought to live in such a way that the gospel is transforming me like it's transforming you. And so Paul is saying, you guys are now mad at me Because though I am better, you don't get to control the hospitality. I'm telling you the truth. The Judaizers were attempting to convince the church at Galatia that they must be Jews first to truly experience the full benefits of salvation. They were dragging them back to faith plus works. If you go all the way back to chapter 1, you will see that these Judaizers were pretty powerful to the point that even Barnabas, who was traveling with Paul and Titus, were being drawn away when Peter came to visit. Peter came to visit them and Peter started to act differently. And so Peter walked away from the Gentiles. And so other people started to walk away from the Gentiles. Gang, how we treat other people matters. Other people are watching you well, that person doesn't look like me or they don't talk like me. The minute you start moving as a mature believer, other people are going to follow suit. We have to grow up in Christ. How we treat each other matters. If we are served and saved by the same God, we have no business treating each other with contempt or scorn. We ought to be loving the unsaved, not rolling our eyes or not moving away from people. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We are the light bearers of the entire world. Remember who you are. This is what Paul is saying. This is what he is saying to them. He's saying to the Judaizers, look, I was like you. I was one of you. I followed the law to the T. The law was so convincing to me that I killed Christians for fun until I met Jesus on the Damascus Road and realized that all of my religiosity was nothing and it could not save me. So this is what Paul is arguing about. And then Paul compares his labor for their salvation as the pains of childbirth. Now, ladies, can we all just roll our eyes at Paul for one moment and say, Sir, I guarantee you, you have no understanding what the pain of childbirth is like. However, we'll give you a pass because you are the Apostle Paul. But he is using this analogy. He is saying the establishment of this church was not without sacrifice. And my addressing you is not without sacrifice. This hurts. This is painful for me. I take no pleasure in telling you that you are sinning. He is brokenhearted, and he's saying, Every time something comes, there's another hit, there's another pain that's doubling me over. And nevertheless, I'll take the pain if it means that I can birth a church that will stand brightly, even in the face of darkness. Guys, we need to stand brightly, even in the face of darkness. How many of you see the darkness that is around the world? Sometimes I have to turn off the television. Sometimes I'm like, I don't, I don't want to see it anymore. Sometimes I get overwhelmed. But darkness does not mean that I should not pray. Turning off the television does not mean that I should get so distracted and fearful that I am not praying. I am a daughter of the most high God, saved, sanctified, filled with his Holy Spirit, and the greater one is in me. And I've got to take out the sword of the Spirit and look for where the enemy is. And I've got to take that enemy out with the word of God. Oh, if we had the same veracity to take out the enemy as we do to take out each other sometimes. Can we take out the sword of the spirit and say, not my family, not my marriage, not my children? Can we take out the word of the God, the word of God, have it in us? Take the sword of the spirit. Point it at the enemy and say, You will not have our children, our lives, our marriage, our nation, our schools, our jobs, you shall not, because we are the keepers of this land, because we walk, talk, live, and breathe, and move, and have our being in Christ. Raise up your eyes and know who you are. Know who you are. Young ones, know who you are, that when you go back to school, and you walk in your schools, you're taking up ground. Put on the full armor of God, and when you walk through your high schools, and you walk through your middle schools, you take up ground and say, this school, Delano High School, shall belong to the Lord God Almighty. I will see friends saved this year. I will be at CU at the pole. I will sit with kids that nobody else wants to sit with. I will share Jesus Christ because everybody else is sharing everything else. So guess what? I'm gonna share Jesus. I'm gonna let somebody know that I was lost. I was a gossip. I was mean and now I've been found. Don't wait for somebody else to do it, do it. I've been a youth pastor for 30 years for a reason because I see a veracity and a passion in a young generation that I oftentimes don't see in others. Move out. God has called you and equipped you because if you don't, you're going to let all of the other pollutants of the world just sit there and you're just going to sit in it and stew in it. Know this word. Know this word is for you. Know this word is about you. Know that this word is meant to transform you. Know that there are people oftentimes that get it wrong, that say they love Jesus, but there's a whole world full of people who love Jesus, who want to get it right with you. So Paul is saying, I want to see this church be birthed. And although Paul is writing this letter from a distance, he wishes he was with them face to face so that they understood how deeply concerned he is. Paul's mad at him. He's like, look, I know I'm not there, but if I was in your face, you sure would know it. It would be a cat fight of epic proportions and I would win. Paul is hot. He is frustrated because he loves them. Parents, you ever been mad at your kids? I mean, hot, like, listen, I'm so glad I'm saved because if I wasn't, we would have a whole other situation. And why are we angry? Why do we get angry? Why do we get disappointed? Why do Have you ever said, because you know better? When you've taught your kids something and they do something that is completely defiant, you're like, you know better. How many times have I had to tell you and you still defy me? That is how Paul is feeling to the church even more so. I have told you, I have taught you, I have said to you, faith in Christ alone, and you defy me. You wait till I'm out of sight and you lie. You lie about me. You cower. You go back to old ways that have no power when all of the power is in Jesus Christ. Am I talking to anybody in this place? He is saying to us, rise and shine because the power of God is upon us. So what's the big idea here? What do I want you to get from these few verses? First, I want us to know that we need to be influenced by Jesus and his followers. Don't be led astray by the world. How do we make sure that we're not led astray by the world? Read the word. Pray for discernment. You know what discernment is? Discernment is a spiritual gift that helps you to know when something's not quite right. Pray and ask God for discernment. Ask God to give you revelation knowledge about a situation, a circumstance, a place. Know that there are churches just like this where the enemy will actually set people in place like the Judaizers were set in place to try to bring problematic issues. Do not fear. Know what God is calling you to. Be influenced by Jesus, not by this world, right? Romans 12, I beg you, I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, That you would submit yourselves unto God, your bodies unto God, right? That is living sacrifices, living, breathing, daily sacrificing, which is our reasonable worship. And do not be conformed to the images of this world, of which there are many, but be transformed by the, huh? The renewing of your mind. Renew your mind. How do you renew your mind? In the word. Read the word, study to show yourself approved. A workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Through prayer, through confession of sin, you keep yourself focused so that you can be formed by the word of God. Wash yourself with the water of the word. Get around like-minded folks, like-minded saints. It's why we went to Vancouver. It's why we served. It's why, as Brody said, everybody drew closer because you were like-minded with the sake of service. Okay? Be influenced by Jesus. Don't be led astray by this world. Number two, when we rely on Jesus, we are shaped by Jesus. Oh man, guys, how many times I didn't rely on Jesus in my walk? How many times I relied on my family name, my intellect, my degree, how much I made. I relied on those things, thinking those things made a difference and they made no difference. In fact, I felt like I was probably more in bondage than I was before. Rely on Jesus so that you can be shaped by Jesus. How do you rely on Jesus? You step into and guard your intimate time with Jesus, whether it's early in the morning or late in the evening. Guard your heart and spend time with Jesus. You don't have to be a master at prayer. Just tell Jesus what's on your heart. Open the word of God. Get a good devotional. Spend time with him. Talk to people about Jesus. Faith is being sure that what God is able to form in us is vastly, infinitely, eternally better than what we can form in ourselves. Somebody once told me, if you're not being formed in the image of God, you're being formed into the image of someone else. I don't know about you, I don't want to be formed in the image of the enemy I don't want to just be formed in the image of some girl who lives in St. Paul. I want to look like Jesus. I want to be the exact replica of my Savior. I want to have his mind, his thoughts, his heart, his tenacity, his willingness to live and die that somebody else might know Jesus. I don't have the strength in myself to do it, guys. I don't, but he does. Finally, I'll leave you with this. John Piper says this. God is not glorified by the self-wrought moral aesthetic, or technical achievements of human life. He's glorified when we turn from ourselves and trust him like little children to enable us to do his bidding. That's what Paul was asking. John Piper is saying, maybe that's what I'm asking. It's okay not to know everything, guys. It's okay not to be some master of scripture. It's okay to still have stuff that you're working through, but don't give up. Don't give up. And don't lean to your own understanding and don't go back to the things of this world and don't go back to works righteousness and don't go back to your old ways of doing things. Jesus said in John 15, apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's recognize that we've been saved, not because of anything we've done, that he did it all. He didn't leave us alone. He empowered us with the Holy Spirit. And because of that, we need to put one foot in front of the other, trusting him. And as we do it, Church of the Highlands, let's love each other well. It doesn't matter what region we're from or what we look like. What matters is Christ in us, the hope of glory. Let's love each other well. Let's fill these seats. Let's tell somebody who's out there right now thinking addiction's gonna save them that it's only Christ Jesus. That there's nothing we've done that can keep God from loving us. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. And there's nothing that you've done Young people, nothing that you've done, old, there's nothing that you've done that would stamp you as disqualified. You are qualified and you are called and you are chosen and you are loved and you are here and God has called you to go out and to share the gospel. He believes in you, I believe in us, and I believe together we can make a difference in this world. So keep fighting, keep standing, keep trusting. Let's be like the church at Galatia and let's use all the resources we have to let somebody know Christ is yet saving. Amen? Amen.